Easter. It's going to be sweet to all be back together again, even if it's for a morning. I'm just not going to go home. I'm just going to stay until you all go home. It's just going to be so good to be all together. And uh, I like the way Andrew just said, we're going to make a meal of the Easter egg hunt. It's like, that sounds awesome. I'm just going to bring a bag just for myself. I think the kids aren't even going to look in. I'm like, I'm doing this. All right, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Nehemiah chapter 8. Those of you that are less familiar with Nehemiah, um, I don't think I've ever preached from Nehemiah until this morning. It's right at the start of the books after 2 Chronicles and Ezra. So please make your way back there. Today we come to the end of our series on our gospel DNA and culture. For the last six weeks we've been looking at our gospel distinctives, who we really are as a local church. And so we looked at humility and godliness and fellowship and generosity and service and encouragement. If you missed any of those, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them because they really are essential and foundational to who we are as a local church. And we're not preaching on them to really mark ourselves out from other churches. There are hundreds of fantastic churches in Sydney alone. But we're preaching through them because we want to describe who we are, that this is our distinctives. This is who we are as a family. And our gospel distinctives, they aren't just random. They're all chosen by the Lord ultimately to display the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what this is all about. We're seeking to bring glory to him in and through our lives. Ray Altland says it this way in his book, The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. He says, the gospel does not hang in midair as an abstraction. By the power of God, the gospel creates something new in the world today. It creates not just a new community, but a new kind of community. Gospel-centered churches are living proof that the good news is true, that Jesus is not theory, but is real, as he gives back to, our, as he gives back to us our humanness. In his doctrine and culture, Words and deeds, such a church makes visible the restored humanity only Christ can give. And that's true. Everything we do in a local church ultimately is designed for the audience of one. It's designed that we may bring glory to him and point others to the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why these matter so much. And today then we're going to be looking at joy, the final part of the puzzle of our distinctives, namely joy. And we're going to read At least to start off, just one verse, Nehemiah 8, verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray. Lord, as we read those words that the joy of the Lord is your strength, Lord, I pray that that would be said of Sovereign Grace Church. I pray that that would be said of us, that a strength is our joy. Lord, as we discuss this topic this morning, as we spend time in this distinctive, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you show us Christ? Would you help us to marvel? But all that you are and all that you've done, and would the fruit be joy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know, as I look back on my life, I can look back on certain books and chapters and indeed 
lines in books that have completely changed my life. And so as I look back on a long history of reading, which happened more in the last 25 years, because prior to that, I didn't read anything apart from the adventures of He-Man. I didn't quite finish that book. But for the last 25 years, I've been reading books. And one book that's made a profound difference in my life is a book called Desiring God by John Piper. And in that book, he gives a line which was life-changing for me. He says this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's his content of the book all the way through. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The first time I heard that and the first time I read that, I was somewhat confused. What do you mean God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him? Help me see what on earth is going there. But the more I kept reading the book and the more I kept studying the book, the more I realized he is absolutely right. The Lord is not just after our head. He's not just after some dry, dutiful service, is he? It doesn't impress him. It doesn't glorify him. Now, God isn't just after our head. He's after our hearts. He wants us to truly delight ourselves in him. And as we do that and serve him, that everything changes. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He doesn't just want our heads or doesn't want our dry service. He wants our hearts. He wants our delight. And the truth is, that's a theme that has escaped me for many years of my life, but runs throughout the entire Bible. For example, Colossians 3, verse 16. We read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, listen, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's clear that biblically then, it's not just about singing. It's not like God sits and goes, man, your voices sounded lovely today. Thank you very much. That's not what it is. He wants us to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord, but he wants us to do it with thankfulness. And it's the thankfulness that binds these two things together and makes it glorifying to the Lord. That's not true just in singing. In Colossians 3.17, we learn about all the rest of life as well. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything, whatever you do in word or deed, everything, he's basically saying that every single thing you do in your life, do it all for the Lord, giving thanks to God in everything. He doesn't just want our product. He wants our hearts. He wants our delight. He wants our joy in him. We see it in Psalm 100 verse verse 2 as well. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Quite clearly then, the Lord is not impressed when we just serve him. It's when we serve him with gladness that it makes all the difference. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Isn't that wonderful? It is such a life-changing thing to understand, but it is totally and utterly true. And that's why joy, as outlined in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, is so important. It isn't just the icing on the cake. It is the cake. See, I think we understand that at a human level. If I go to my dear, beautiful wife and give her some flowers, go to the shop, buy some flowers, and I give her some flowers... And then she says, oh, thank you so much. Why did you do it? If I then say, well, it's my duty. I'm your husband. 
it does not have the desired effect. I'm doing the right thing, right? I'm giving flowers is what husbands should do. But I feel nothing. <clears throat> but when I give flowers to Emma and say, here's some flowers to you, she says, oh, why is that? So, because I love you. And one of the best things about my life is making you smile and I love you. Well, now we've got something going on. Because she understands it's not just my duty, it's my heart. I'm doing this because I love you, because I feel for you. So she is most glorified in me in that moment because it's an expression of my love for her. Do you see? And God works exactly the same way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, when we're filled with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving towards him. And that's what motivates everything we do. And that's where joy fits into this whole situation. It isn't just the icing on the cake. It is at the very heart of the Christian cake. You can't have Christianity without joy. It is an oxymoron. It does not work. And joy then is so important to our faith and lies at the heart of Christianity as biblically defined. You know, that's what I saw in 1997 when I first set foot in a Sovereign Grace Church. One of the things that was immediately immediately palpable was they are joyful. There is a joy in this place and it is infectious. And so to hear them sing when I put my foot in that church, you're like, wow, these guys, they really do love the Lord. There's something going on. There is a joy in their heart. And what I realized as I got to know them is that joy wasn't just there in the good times, it was there in the tough times as well. There could be sorrow with weeping and yet still joy in their hearts. It was infectious. It showed me so much about the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the last 10 years, Sovereign Grace, you were doing exactly the same thing. I'm going to give numerous moments where we have experienced joy together, where I've seen joy in your hearts hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And by God's grace, I, I want to do all I can to ensure that this distinctive of joy is preserved and valued in our future as well. I want our kids to grow up loving Jesus and understand the value of joy and the difference that makes to draw attention to the beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... I got two points this morning as we look at joy together. Number one, joy defined. And then number two, joy cultivated. But I come at this with really just one hope. And my hope is that we really would understand afresh this morning that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And so this issue then of joy is not the icing on the cake. It is the very cake. So point one, joy defined. You know, one thing that's clear in the Bible when you start studying it on this issue of joy is that Christian joy is not just a recommendation or a suggestion or an idea. It's a command. We're actually commanded to feel joy. I'll get onto that in a bit, but I want you to understand it is a command. Psalm 33 verse 1, we read, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. It's a command. We are to shout for joy in the Lord. It's not an option. Something that he says, I want you to do this. Psalm 97 verse 12. We read, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Philippians 3 verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, man. I'm rejoicing over water right now. It's a gift of grace. 
Thank you. So to rejoice, it's to rejoy ourselves. And it's a command. And I love the way Paul says that. Finally, my brothers. He says it like halfway through the book. He's a real preacher. And he's still going to carry on saying a lot more things. But he goes back again then in chapter 4, verse 4. and says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. As biblically defined, joy is not just a recommendation or a suggestion or an idea. It is a command from God himself that we are to pursue and find joy in our lives. And so what is it? What is this joy as biblically defined? What is Christian joy? Well, first of all, what, what is it not? When the Bible makes reference to Christian joy, it's not talking about some type of happy feeling that we're meant to get when life is just going well. Okay, so it's not talking about, you know, life's going well, and then we go, I'm just enjoying life, I'm enjoying life. And we have this really weird, quirky smile on our face all the time, because we're just like, I'm so joyful, I'm joyful. That's not what it's talking about. And likewise, it's not talking about some positive outlook that we have on life, so that even through the tough times, we have this positive outlook, that this is really good, this is fun, this is great, I'm just so joyful. No, that's really weird. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about a positive outlook. It's not talking about happy feelings in response to life just going great. Now, Christian joy in the Bible, I submit to you, is is simply this. Leaning on Dr. Piper himself and modifying it some for myself. This is what I want to put to you Christian joy is. Christian joy is a good and deep-seated feeling of the soul which is produced by the Holy Spirit as we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. Now, for all those making notes, I'm aware that your pen nearly caught fire then. Let me say it again. Christian joy is a good and deep-seated feeling of the soul, which is produced by the Holy Spirit as we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. I want us to understand that this morning. Because if we can understand it, I think then we can truly pursue it. Let me break that down for us then. Christian joy is a good and deep-seated feeling of the soul. What we're talking about here then in Christian joy is not just an idea or a conviction or a decision or an outlook. No, it's a feeling and an emotion. It's something we're meant to actually feel in our hearts. It's not a decision, I'm just deciding to be joyful. No, that doesn't sound very joyful due to the gifted teeth. It's not a decision. It's actually a feeling. And it's a deep-seated feeling of the soul. Listen, our bodies then, they may feel the effects of our joy. So we may have tears of joy rolling down our face. We may have butterflies in our stomach if something takes place. We may have a leap in our step where something takes place. But that isn't actually joy. That's just a display of it. Joy is what's going on right in here. It's something within. That's how it's possible then for people to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10. Because you can go through things in your life that are difficult in body and mind, difficult in the horizontal, and yet still find yourself in your soul rejoicing. It's because it's not an external thing, first off. It's something that happens. It's a good and deep-seated feeling of the soul. And my friends, it's not just something that we whip up by ourselves. No, it is produced by the Holy Spirit himself. 
Augustine once prayed, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. What a wise prayer. He's basically saying, Lord, you can command me to do what I want, but then please do all you can to help me apply thy command. And that's exactly what God does. When he demands for us and commands for us that you will be joyful, he then says, now I'm going to help you do exactly that. I'm going to produce this in your life. And that's what we learn about in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. Because what we understand is that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of his work in our lives. So in Galatians 5, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. I love that. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something that comes from within. It is a work of the one who cries within you, Abba, Father. But I don't want you to think that that means we just don't do anything. That we're just walking along one day, and then boom, magic. I feel joy. It's the Spirit. No, that's really quirky. He actually responds to us engaging our minds in something. And that's the third part of that story. It is produced by the Holy Spirit as we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's the part we play in this. As we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ, joy is then produced by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just flip a switch and then we feel joy without even engaging our minds. That's not the way it works. No, what he does is as we engage our minds beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ, it is him that opens the eyes of our heart to see it, which then completely changes our life and we respond with joy. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things he does. Jesus in John chapter 16, it's the farewell discourse. He's explaining to his disciples, hey, listen, I'm soon going to be leaving you guys. I've got to go. And they're really concerned about it. And he explains to them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send one who is just like me. And then in John 16, verse 14, he explains one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He says, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So one of the things the Holy Spirit loves to do is he loves to show us Christ. He loves to open our eyes to see the beauty and splendor of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer, when he was preaching on that verse, John 16 verse 14, by way of illustration, remembers the time when he was walking through London and it was pitch black. For whatever reason, it got dark extremely quickly. The lights hadn't come on yet. And so he's feeling his way around and he's walking along a path. And as he comes around the corner, just as he comes around the corner, it's pitch black. And then all of a sudden, the lights of an old church come on. Boom. And he sees this glorious old church and steeple before him, all lit up by these beautiful floodlights. And he just stands there in awe of it. A few moments ago, it had been pitch black. But now he can see the splendor of this building. And he explains in that sermon that that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us when it comes to Christ. We go through our lives and then there will be moments when we are looking at Jesus and engaging with Jesus and boom, the lights come on. And we see him for the majesty and splendor and beauty he really is. And what do we feel in that moment? Joy, that's what you feel. And I'm sure we've all experienced that, haven't we? Moments when you're singing. 
you're singing and you're just singing because you sing. This is what we do on a Sunday morning. And you're singing away and all of a sudden, the very words that you're singing, you just think, wow, that's amazing. What is that? It's not because you're a really nice person. It's the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit turning the lights on for you to go, this is amazing. If I die now, it's a happy place. Or moments when you're reading the Bible and you're spending time in God's word. It doesn't happen to me like every single day. But moments when you do and you turn over the page and you're like, that's amazing. That's Jesus right there. That's the one who died for me. And you feel joy. You feel affected in your emotions. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to behold the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Christian joy is a good and deep-seated feeling of the soul, which is produced by the Holy Spirit as we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It isn't just a positive thought or a happy feeling in response to life going good. It's way more than that. It's Christians who are besottedly looking at the beauty of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit then takes what we look at and goes, boom! In a way that what we actually feel, whatever our circumstances, we feel joy, amazement, and the glory and beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do we go after that in our lives? How do we pursue this joy in our lives? The Lord wants it for us. He commands it. But he wants to help us see it. it isn't just the icing on the cake. It's the cake. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, when we're finding joy in him, rejoying ourselves in the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, that's my second point, the final point. Joy cultivated. How do we cultivate this God-given joy in our hearts? Well, in headline, obviously from what I've just said, what we need to do ultimately is we need to do all we can to position ourselves to behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. If it's that that the Holy Spirit takes and then opens our eyes to behold Jesus more, our role is I need to do all I can to sit and stop and stare at the beauty of Jesus Christ. And what you examine in the Bible and see in the Bible is there are many ways we can do exactly that. And I want to hit on four of them to help us understand how we can pursue joy in our lives, how we can cultivate it through the good times and through the challenging times for the glory of God. So how can we then position ourselves to behold the beauty of Jesus Christ? Well, there's four places that I think we can behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. And here's the first. Number one, I want to encourage you to behold the beauty of Christ in his word. In this, there is no more authoritative and clear place anywhere in the universe than right here to behold the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my friends, I want to encourage you, when you're reading the Bible or studying the Bible, do all you can to keep your eyes peeled for Jesus. Because every page actually whispers his name. Brian Chappell says it this way. He says, in its context, every passage possesses one or more of four redemptive foci. Every text is either predictive of the work of Christ, preparatory for the work of Christ, reflective of the work of Christ, and or resultant of the work of Christ. Isn't that great? 
What he's saying is every page whispers his name. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The Gospels point right at Jesus. The letters point back to Jesus. Revelation points to Jesus returning. Everything is pointing somewhere to Jesus. And so we would do well, I think, to keep our eyes peeled for Jesus. And I want to encourage you. One of the things you can ask them when you're reading and studying the Bible, which can make a profound difference, is whatever verse you're reading, what is the relationship of this verse to the work of Christ? Where am I seeing Jesus right here? Listen, this can have a revolutionary effect on the way you study the Bible. It can revolutionize what you're doing. I read a book called God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts that, that helped me understand this, helped me understand that the Bible is actually one book, like lots of, rather lots of little books. I grew up thinking that the Bible was lots of little books, lots of just random stories that you sort of, they're all about God and it's great, but didn't realize, no, from Genesis to Revelation, it's ultimately one story, one story that's being unpacked and everywhere ultimately points to Jesus. And understanding that, it completely changes everything. Because then when you're reading Exodus, it doesn't just become like a story that we might want to share with the kids out the back at kids' work. You realize, no, the whole thing's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This tabernacle that we have about 16 chapters on, you're like, what is this all about? You're like, well, what is it all about? It's Eden. It's a picture of Eden. How do we get back into Eden? It's Jesus. It's the king that we're waiting for. Leviticus. I mean... You know, we all do it. You read the Bible in a year and March is a dark month because you hit Leviticus and you're like, this is difficult. But it starts to change when you realize all these laws, all these sacrifices, they're so intense. But every one of them points to Jesus. Every one of them points to how incredible and splendid Jesus was. He was the only perfect one that could replace all of that. When we start paying attention and looking for Jesus, it revolutionizes the way we read the Bible. So my friends, I want to encourage you, behold the beauty of Christ in his word. The Holy Spirit probably isn't just going to randomly zap you. What he's going to do is, as you're reading this, he's going to bring things to life where you go, that's amazing. We have to position ourselves, though, to behold the beauty of Christ in his word. But that's the only place where we can see it. Number two, I want to encourage you to behold the beauty of Christ in good gospel-centered songs. Good songs. I mean, songs, <clears throat> they have in and of themselves the innate ability to get things stuck in our heads, don't they? They just do. Whether you like it or not, it's the way God's designed it. We will all have baby shark in our minds for all eternity. We will be in heaven and we'll be like, do you remember that song? Yes, it was horrible. And we'll still remember the words. Because these things have a habit of getting stuck in our heads. Well, you will remember certain memories and moments because of songs. You ever do that? A song comes on the radio, or your wife puts it on in the house, or a friend, or whatever it be, and you're like, yeah, there it was, Noosa 2012. I just remember. And you just it's weird how songs can transport us back to places, and we remember different things. We remember how we felt in different things. It's kind of weird. But another thing songs do is they have the innate ability to get words stuck in our head. And they all do. There's this um, game in the United States called Encore, which I played a couple of times. And it's a game where you simply say a word, and then everybody has to write down as many songs with that word in that they can think of. And when you've never played it before, you think, oh, I bet I'd be rubbish at it. I won't remember anything. You'll be alarmed 
to realize how many songs you remember. So somebody says blue, and you're like, oh yeah, blue moon. And you start writing them all down. Or, you know, whatever the word is, it's quite alarming how so many songs have been stored away in our heads. And they will have been for all eternity. Well, here's my recommendation with that in mind. Make good gospel-centered songs then the soundtracks of your life. Because if there's one thing you want to get stuck in your head, it's the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to encourage you in is not then songs that are primarily about what we're going to do for God. I grew up singing a lot of songs about what we're going to do for God. There was this song that I played all the time. It was by Delirious and it was about History Maker. I want to be a history maker in this town. Yes, so humble, yes. The whole song's about me. It's all about what I'm going to do. And I had a lot of songs stored in my head that were all about me. Don't specialize in those songs. Specialize in songs that are all about Jesus. They're all about the beauty and splendor of what he's done for you. Because those songs, they can completely revolutionize and change your life. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit, as you get those words into your head, he brings them alive at different times. And you just think, yes, well, that is so true. I thank you for who you are. So I want to encourage you to do all you can to listen to good gospel-centered songs. It is one of the things I appreciate about Sovereign Grace music. One of the things I can guarantee to you with Sovereign Grace music, but it would be true of many others as well. Certainly Sovereign Grace music is what I know. The words are so Christ-centered all the time that if you're going to get words stuck in your head, it's a great place to start. I also want to encourage you in that same vein, do all you can then to meditate on good gospel-centered hymns. I mean, I didn't grow up I didn't grow up going to church with one of these bad boys, you know, in the pew. We didn't even have pews. We were charismatic. Barely had chairs. We might just stand sometimes. And we didn't do hymns because you're like, they're, they're old. You know, you've got to do modern songs. And then as I got older, somebody gave me a hymn book. And I'm like, oh, thanks. My granddad might like it. You know, that type of feel. But I started reading it. I'm like, goodness, these hymns are amazing. These words, if you want to behold the beauty and splendor of Jesus Christ, go here. Heather, you love this stuff. Heather's a big fan of hymns. All right, let me just read a couple of you. Let me examine, help you see what I mean. This is the type of music that you want starting your day with. All right, check this one out. And can it be? Nearly 300 years old. Exactly. All right, let's listen to this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head 
and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That beautiful. Talk about soundtracks that you want running through your life. I want to be history maker. Shut up. Get this. This is amazing. It's all about Jesus. What about this one? Before the throne of God above. I'm doing this for you, Heather. Just other people are listening in. All right. Before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my savior and my God. How wonderful. My friends, I want to encourage you. Make these types of songs the soundtracks of your life. Get these types of words stuck in your head. Because here's what will happen. As you read them, and as you engage with them, the Holy Spirit will shine a light on Christ. And what you will feel is joy. Because that's how it's cultivated. As you behold the beauty of Christ, the Holy Spirit brings those words to life. And what you feel is rejoying yourself in the Lord. It changes your life. Behold the beauty of Christ then in the word and in song. But that's not the only place. I want to encourage you, number three, to behold the beauty of Christ in your story. And in particular, what I mean there is your conversion story. How you got here? How did you get here? It's all too easy, I think, and too common today for us to want to forget our past. The mistakes we've made, the sins we've committed, they're not subjects that we tend to want to revisit or think about. And yet for all of us as Christians, one of the best ways we can behold the beauty of Christ, I believe, is to actually remember our past. Remember who we are. Because as we do that, we will behold the beauty and splendor of Jesus Christ as we rehearse our story. My friends, I want to encourage you then. Work hard to remember who you were. Work hard to remember the realities of your plight outside of God's saving grace. Think and engage. Where would I be now without Christ? That is is what I deserve. And then bring to mind and remember with joyful amazement where you are now because of the finished work of Jesus Christ in your place. It's so easy to forget, to just move on. 
But I want to encourage you as an individual and as a congregation, never move on from your testimony. May it amaze us as much today as it did the day we got saved. Because what the Holy Spirit will do is, is he will show us Christ again as we rehearse our story and we'll be affected all over again at the beauty and splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, I want to encourage you. When it comes to your conversion testimony, each and every one of them is an absolute miracle of grace. Whether you were six when you became a Christian or 86, it makes no difference. Whether you have a dramatic testimony or a plain testimony, I want to submit to you they are all miracles of grace. They are all astounding. You were running away from the Lord, uninterested in the Lord, and he ran after you in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He came after you with all his beauty and splendor and died in your place. That's why you have life and that in abundance. Regularly rehearse who you were and then regularly be reminded of who you are now in Christ. My friends, write it out, rehearse it, tell your story as often as you can. And here will be the redemptive effect. The redemptive effect will be in the midst of whatever you're walking through. The redemptive effect will be joy. As the Holy Spirit shows you all over again, Christ, what he did for you, how he feels about you, how he will never let you go. If he loves you that much, then how much more does he still love you today? Behold the beauty of Christ in your story. It will serve your soul well. And then number four, finally, I want to encourage you to behold the beauty of Christ in the world. You know, this one I think is maybe arguably too easily missed. But if we pay attention to the world around us, we will actually see the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ everywhere. You know, one of the signs I used to have outside my house, I say one of it's the only sign I had outside my house, apart from the number three. But I used to have this sign outside our house, and I put it there to remind me. It's broken now, so it is gone. But this is what it said. It says, life moves pretty fast. And so if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I saw it in the shop, and I said to him, that's, that's like a must-have. We've got to have that. So we bought that, and like our door is here, and I put it right there. And I put it right there because I wanted to look at it when I came home. Because my life moves fast. And I wanted to do all I could to be reminded on a daily basis of the need to stop and look around once in a while so that I don't miss it. I don't want to have to look back on my life and realize I was just never really there for my kids. Or I was never really there for for them. Or I was never really there for the church. We were just doing so many different things. And so it was a daily reminder every time I came in the door that, yes, I want to stop around and look around once in a while so that I don't miss it. But the truth is, that's not just for life. That's for the Lord Jesus Christ and his gifts as well. See, life moves pretty fast. And so if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss him. You just don't see him at work. You're unaware of him. But my friends, when we can slow ourselves down enough and when we can pause and look, when you look back at what is in the world, 
you realize his beauty is everywhere. For example, you will start to see that there is a beautiful Christ in your story. You'll be reminded of who you once were and who you now are because of what Jesus has done for you. You will start to see evidences of grace in people everywhere where Christ is at work. And as you hear other people's testimonies, you'll be like, this is amazing. Look at what Christ has done. But in addition to that, you'll also see the beauty of Christ in nature. Don't miss God's great masterpiece that lies beyond those doors. It's all him. We read in Colossians that he is the author and creator and sustainer of all things. And yet we can read that abstractly to actually what we see then outside. But my friends, if we can slow down enough and actually just look, you will see this is amazing. I mean, those trees alone, there are millions of leaves on them. Each one has been created by the Lord and is now being sustained by him. That's amazing. Think about the stars of heaven. When we're looking around at night, all of those stars put there by the Lord are now sustained by him and named by him so that not one is missing. Think about that thunderstorm that rolls through that you're like, oh my goodness, is my house going to get flooded? Maybe, but just be aware that every lightning bolt is ultimately directed by the Lord and every drop falls exactly where Christ is ordaining it to fall. What about the sunsets? God's great masterpieces on a, on a huge sky level. See, all these things are designed by the Lord to reveal something of his majesty and splendor and greatness. Sometimes we just have to slow down enough to actually see it and behold it and realize this is all Christ. And then what about all our other gifts? See, our lives have been filled with many, many gifts, have they not? Food and water, pens and paper, music and arts, sports and movies, family and friends. The list goes on. He has lavished his blessings on us again and again and again. And sometimes our lives can be so busy that we fail to give thanks because we haven't even really noticed that they're blessings. We just get used to them. But when we slop and look around once in a while, and then we begin with, I deserve to be running headlong to hell and outside of all of the blessings of God. And then we look back. you realize as you look back, I have 10,000 reasons to praise all the time. 10,000 reasons to praise. Because all these gifts are intended to reveal something of Jesus Christ to me. And so, Lord, thank you for all that you've done. My friends, I want to encourage you then to do all you can to behold the beauty of Christ in his word and in song and in your stories and in the world. And the fruit of that as the Holy Spirit takes those things and reveals Christ to you is what you will feel in your hearts is joy. As you realize you have 10,000 reasons to praise. You know, I first went along to a Sovereign Grace Church in 1997. I was blown away. I'm sure there are many other churches around the world that I could have been blown away in. But on that given day, in the sovereignty of God, I arrived in a sovereign grace church and I was affected by them. I was affected by their love for Jesus. I was affected by the way Jesus really was their life. And they were clearly given their lives to being gospel-centered. Knowing him and applying him and proclaiming him. And the fruits of that were palpable. 
as there was humility and godliness and fellowship. There was a church, they were just a church that truly loved to be together. There was generosity and service and encouragement. And there was joy. Through the good times, through the challenging times, there was joy because the joy wasn't based on this. It was based on this. And so they were always amazed, always affected. And for the last 10 years, this has been your story too. I love this church. I love that I get to be a part of this church. One day I won't be the pastor of this church. My enthusiasm for this church will be no different. I love that we get to be around people like you, that model these things, that motivate me to want to love Jesus more because you display the beauty of Jesus to me in the way you live. And my friends, it is my sincere prayer that by the grace of God, these values would be preserved and valued in our future as well. That our kids would grow up realizing how great Jesus is and that they too would want to do all they can to point to Jesus in their lives as the beautiful and splendid King King of Kings he is. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Satisfaction and joy is not the icing on the cake. It is the cake. So may we pursue joy in Jesus Christ. May we do all we can to behold him in his beauty and with joy through the Holy Spirit then be our theme. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that what you command, you also will. You don't just call us up to something. You call us to something and then say, and I will do it in you. Lord, I thank you that even in joy, it's not something you leave us to just get on with. You call us to, and then you are so committed to joy that through the Holy Spirit, you arrive in us to cultivate it. So Lord, would we be a joyful people as we behold you in your word and in our stories and in the world and in our song. Would joy be cultivated in our hearts? Would we be amazed by one thing more than anything else? Would we be amazed by you? For what a king you are. Amen.